following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Today we're going to talk about the basic requisite to verifying for ourselves the truths and realities contained within all religions. And we're going to explain how to develop that within ourselves. How to become cognizant of what Judaism, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, Jainism, etc. really contain. Because really what draws us to spiritual studies is the desire or the longing to really experience for ourselves what divinity is. To know what is God or what is our Buddha inside. It is this longing that really impels us to inquire. And as the foundation of any religious practice to experiencing divinity, to acquiring gnosis, knowledge of divinity from experience. We talk about awareness as a basic requisite, as a basic foundation for entering into the experience of that divinity. And so we state in a very clear way that divinity is not what modern religion has developed it to be. Usually we think in Christianity of these anthropomorphic figures of an old man in the clouds or the external physical personality of Jesus or as Buddha Shakyamuni of Buddhism, some external figures outside and that they were the ones who were capable of achieving these great realizations and that we don't have that capacity. Religion in the exoteric public sense has misconstrued the real foundations for attaining religion. So it's important to realize religion comes from the Latin religare, which means to reunite. Likewise, yoga in Sanskrit comes from the word yug, which means to unite. 
So both Eastern and Western traditions have taught that we need to reunite with divinity. But in order to reunite with divinity, we have to really throw away our misconceptions about who or what divinity is. And to really go to what's practical. To really experiment. To really inquire within religious teachings, within mystical traditions, as to what is divinity and how do we experience divinity. All religions have taught in their unique languages and cultures the path that leads to that realization. And so although this path was taught in different languages, from different prophets, from different messengers, from different masters or Buddhas, really, this path is one and the same as Jesus of Nazareth taught. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, spiritual life, and few there be that find it. Or as Krishna said, among a thousand who search for me, one finds me. Among a thousand who find me, one follows me. Among a thousand who follow me, one is mine. Religion or yoga, whatever name we give to the science of experiencing the divine, is the quest for developing our genuine potential inside. Religion is not about adhering to a physical group and even attending lectures. The purpose is to verify inside who is our inner divinity who is God within me? Or as the oracle of the Temple of Delphi, the Greek famous maxim stated, Man, know thyself, and you will know the universe and the gods. And the basic requisite for verifying divinity in ourselves, experiencing the divine, is by becoming aware of who we are. We have many assumptions based off our culture, our the way we've been raised, the religion we were indoctrinated with, about who we are and where we come from. Really, our language, our name, our birthplace, our family, our friends, these things really belong to the physical. But as to what is spiritual or what is psychological, usually that is something we are very ignorant about. This is a very uh, challenging truth to confront within oneself. For as the Greeks said, man know thyself, and you will know the gods. You will know the angels. You will know the Buddhas. You will know divinity. You will know that universal light of divinity known as Christ amongst the Gnostics. Christos in Greek, God of fire. If we know ourselves, we will know divinity. If we don't know divinity, it means that we really don't know ourselves and our root. This is really the zero foundation we need to face because it's by acknowledging the fact that we really, we really don't know our divine being, our divine force within us, the presence of divinity known as God. It's because we lack cognizance of all of our psychological, emotional, and physical processes. The Sufis teach the same thing, the mystics of Islam. They explain that he who knows himself knows his Lord. In the esoteric tradition, divinity was known by the name of Allah, the God, or amongst the Gnostics, Christ, or amongst the Buddhists, Amitabha, the Buddha of light. So what is this light? It is our pristine cognizance and awareness of divinity directly. And it's this awareness of who we are fundamentally 
psychologically, emotionally, and physically. That is how we open the gateway to accessing who we are spiritually. Because the spirit is beyond that. Spirit is God, our Buddha inside. We all have our inner Buddha. And a Buddha simply means awakened one. To be aware, to be really fully cognizant of everything that is occurring psychologically inside, but also in the external universe. Because man, know thyself, you will know the universe and the Buddhas, the gods. So in this tradition, we seek to actualize awareness. Different traditions give this name uh, many different terms. In the Gnostic tradition, we call it self-observation, to observe ourselves, be aware of our body, our emotional states, our mood, our thoughts, our mind. In Buddhism, we call it mindfulness. To be aware as a type of perception that is beyond our current common everyday experience. And if you notice, by doing the anapana practice, by observing ourselves, usually what we find is that we get distracted from what we're trying to focus on. The concentration on the breath. Usually we find that we start thinking other things or memories or preoccupations, thinking about our day, which take us away from the present moment. It's this fact that we are distracted when we look inside, when we direct our attention inside. Verifies for us that our mind is not concentrated or developed to its genuine full potential. The fact that we're trying to focus on our breathing, a simple process as our breath, our body, and that we get veered off in our mind distracted, shows that the psyche is not fully integrated, is not completely perfected. In fact, it's split up and distracted and unmindful. And religion teaches us, yoga teaches us, that the beginning or the gateway to real union with divinity is to become aware of that divinity. We're going to explain teaching pertinent to Tibetan Buddhism. We study all religions in a didactic way to explain the traditions, how they relate to each other. But due to the depth and profundity of a certain scripture that I'm going to relate to you, we're going to relate you the teachings of awareness as given within the highest yoga tantra within Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism particularly. This is a scripture known as the Bardal Thodol. It's called the Tibetan Book of the Dead. If you know anything about this scripture, this is a very controversial text and a very powerful one. It was written by a master by the name of Padmasambhava. He was related as the second Buddha due to his level of attainment and realization. He wrote this scripture about the natural processes of becoming cognizant during physical death, but also how to become aware within one's daily life, to really be aware of divinity here and now, within ourselves a type of psychological state which is very transcendent of our daily mundane experience. And so Padmasambhava, seeing that the Tibetan people were not prepared for the depth of the knowledge he was presenting, he had the scripture buried underground for centuries and was later found by a certain monk, I believe by the name of Karma Lingpa, who received it and transmitted it to his sons ending up to the present day where we have this scripture, which is a very potent text, an explanation about the nature of or the need to become aware, to really know ourselves, who we are, and not to have preconceptions such as this is my name, my language, my religion, 
my culture that I grew up in. These things really are transitory and are superfluous. Our inner being, we say in Gnostic terms, our inner divinity is inside and is eternal. These passing forms, this body, this hair, this manner of speaking, my personality, this terrestrial aspect of oneself is like a leaf floating in the wind as his birth and its death. But what happens after? That's the question. But this is something we can verify. This book, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, explains how we need to become cognizant of all processes in our life so that if we really want to know divinity, we have to develop a type of perception which is beyond thinking, beyond feeling, and beyond instinct or sensations. So I'm going to pause when I explain some of these Buddhist terms to explain them in terms of Gnostic uh, commentary. We're going to perform an exegesis on this text. This is a section from this book, which traditionally is read at three or four in the morning before meditation for monks, and is also read on retreats. So I invite you when you listen and as we discuss this text in terms of Gnostic psychology, that you listen with an open mind and seek to really verify what it teaches. So this is from this section called Introduction to Awareness, Natural Liberation Through Naked Perception, an extract from the Peaceful and Rascal Deities, a profound sacred teaching, entitled Natural Liberation Through Recognition of Enlightened Intention. Even in this title we find our intentions have to be enlightened by that spark, by that insight of something new. And we've all had this when we were children specifically, when we saw life in a way that was novel, new. So you look at a child, and that child has a fascination with all things and is not conditioned by the perceptions or the obligations of a much more mature life. So this is why Jesus said, Become ye as little children if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Become innocent in mind. Though this single nature of mind, which is completely pervades both cyclic existence and nirvana, or heaven, heavenly states of, of consciousness, has been naturally present from the beginning, you have not recognized it. Even though its radiance and awareness have never been interrupted, you have not yet encountered its true face. Even though it arises unimpededly in every facet of existence, you have not yet as yet recognized this single nature of mind. In order that this single nature might be recognized by you, this awareness, this consciousness, the conquerors or Buddhas, the masters of the three times, have taught an inconceivably vast number of practices, including the 84,000 aspects of the sacred teachings. Yet, despite this diversity, not even one of these teachings has been given by the conquerors, the Buddhas, the prophets, the teachers, outside the context of an understanding of this nature. So in religion, whether in yoga or exercises in meditation, reflection, Mantra, vocalizing sacred sounds to work with energy in the body. None of these exercises were given outside an understanding of the nature of awareness. These are tools that can help our perception, what we call in Gnostic terms, consciousness, essence, in order to really verify for ourselves the nature of religion, reunion, to experience that reunion directly. This type of cognizance has been present in us 
but we're not aware of it. We call this consciousness in Buddhist terms, Buddha nature, the capacity to be fully awakened, to know God directly, to know all the different truths contained in religion, to know the heavens as the different masters and Buddhas taught and verify through their experience. We have many practices in this tradition, as we explained, in order to verify divinity. But none of these practices are effective without an understanding about the nature of awareness, paying attention, being aware of our mind, our heart, our body. So even though there are inestimable volumes of sacred writings, equally vast as the limits of space, actually these teachings can be succinctly expressed in a few words, which are the introduction to awareness. So there are many books on religion, many books on yoga, but how many have actually verified for themselves the nature of their tradition? And you find that in relation to the conflicts in different religions and traditions, we find that they don't understand the nature of their tradition because religion and yoga should reunite people, not create conflict. And so we want to be aware of ourselves. And the Buddhist term, they use mind. But here we're talking about consciousness. Consciousness is a much more accurate term. So some of the translations into Western language is difficult, particularly because they use terms that are familiar to Westerners in a way that don't really accurately convey the real depth of the language. Usually we think of mind, we think of intellect. And that, like Descartes taught, I think, therefore I am. But this is a mistaken concept. We can say, I think, therefore I am not. So, I think, therefore I am. Descartes says, really our true identity is the intellect, but the Buddhist teaching, as the Gnostic teachings also convey, our real identity is divinity. And our consciousness, or soul, is what can unite us with divinity. The mind, in strict terms, in Gnostic language, pertains to intellect. We usually think, we think of mind, we think of intellect. The type of experience the Buddhists are talking about is consciousness. We want to clarify some of the translations of the terms. Consciousness is what occurs before thought, occurs before feeling, occurs even before or between sensation. Our consciousness, our soul, our Buddha nature, is the capacity to experience life without filter. That is what the Buddhists say, um, the Zen state or something like that. It does relate to Zen. And Zen is, a, Zen is the Japanese derivative of Chan, Buddhism. Relates to Dzogchen or the Tibetan Buddhist teaching, particularly. Really, the highest form of thought is no thought. We say that consciousness is the capacity to not think, but to know, to perceive, to become cognizant. So if you ever observe one state to be aware of uh, what happens between thoughts. Usually we have a churning of thinking. We're thinking all the time. Or being identified with our mood. Or identifying with what we eat. The sensations of our body. But if we really observe ourselves, we see that these things are constantly fluctuating. They're changing. They're never stable. And so where's the genuine identity that we carry in that? In one moment we have a drink of water. We feel the sensations of the water. At other moments, we think about our job, our spouse, our career, our friends. And the next moment, 
we have different mood. We may, perhaps we're angry or upset or frustrated about a situation. And then we can be happy again. Usually we identify this as being from one unique self, from who we identify as ourselves. Failing to recognize that these are factors which are fluctuating and changing constantly. And that our psychological states are contingent upon the events of life. And that there's always change. There's no stability. Who has genuine existence inside? This relates to the Buddhist doctrine of anatman, which means no self. This doesn't mean obliteration, as if we're talking about nihilism, as if there's no existence. It's, not, it's a perception that is clear. It's superior. It's not filtered by thought, by feeling, by sensation, by instinct, by impulse. It's this type of perception that we want to strengthen and that we want to develop. In the beginning, it's very difficult to differentiate between you know, what is our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, when we begin to observe ourselves as if we're watching a film, as we did with the practice of anapana. To state that this type of awareness is a dull state or a uh, neutral state is incorrect, particularly because the soul or the consciousness that is beyond thought, that is beyond feeling, that is beyond sensation, has great capacity for emotion of a superior type. But not the common anger or negative emotions we may feel at a, at a certain crisis in our life or difficulty. If you listen to classical music such as by masters like Beethoven or Wagner, whose music is very powerful, they were awakened and they were conveying music of a superior type, giving a teaching of a spiritual nature, which we explain in different lectures. Their music is very powerful for that inspiration in the heart, that potency in the heart. If you look at the music of Beethoven, such as his choral pieces, his famous Ode to Joy, it's the expression of the soul in union with the bliss of divinity. So it's a superior emotion, but not the type of emotion we usually identify or typically experience. So consciousness is dynamic, it has a range of experience, but we can only verify this by becoming aware, observing ourselves. Identifying and understanding that we are not our thoughts, we're not our feelings, we're not our body. We are something much more profound. And that soul, when it's awakened to its true nature, can really experience that bliss that all religions talk about, which all the prophets have spoken of, all the messengers have explained that union with divinity is real happiness. But the beginning is learning to separate from what we think, what we feel, what we identify with as ourselves. And religions teach us that this self that we have is transitory. And through analysis, we see that our self is changing moment by moment. There's no stable identity there. We have anger, we have happiness, we have joy, we have a memory, we have a preoccupation. These things fluctuate. In order to make any type of spiritual practice fruitful, it begins with this observation, becoming aware of ourselves. And the fact that if we don't know divinity, it's because we don't know ourselves. We have to become aware of that presence inside. In our society today, we have many preconceptions about who we are as individuals or what a human being is. But if we examine this scripture, it points to us that the typical definition of mind as our true self, of intellect as our true self, is incipient. 
lacks profundity. As predicted hundreds of years previous to us, Padmasambhava states the following, O fortunate children, listen to these words. The term mind is commonplace and widely used. Yet there are those who do not understand its meaning, those who falsely understand it, those who partially understand it, and those who have not quite understood its genuine reality. Thus there has risen an inconceivably vast number of assertions as to the nature of mind, posited by the various philosophical systems. Further, since ordinary persons do not understand the meaning of the term mind or consciousness, and do not intuitively recognize its nature, they continue to roam through the six classes of sentient rebirth within the three world systems, and consequently experience suffering. So Christianity had removed from its teaching the teaching of reincarnation which we work with and we seek to verify for ourselves. This idea or this experience of having transmigrated as a soul through different lives, different bodies. And when we learn to develop our consciousness, we can verify this, our past, where we come from, who we are and where we're going. So the Buddhist doctrine teaches, like, like Hinduism, that there is a transmigration of souls, which was removed by fanatics of Christianity. We experience suffering, and this is the fault of not understanding this intrinsic nature of mind. So when we approach a religion or a spiritual teachings, it's because we suffer. If we approach yoga or religion or traditions, it's because we want to overcome that suffering. Deep down is the primary motive. But we have to recognize where that suffering comes from. It's not our job or our spouse or our family or friends, or strangers on the street who make us suffer. We have to understand what inside us is provoked by the external circumstances. Usually we uh, identify with the external world as if these are the causes of our pain. Yet if we look at any genuine master, such as Jesus, for example, he physically lived a drama in order to symbolically represent something we need to go through inside to experience internally, how the soul has to become purified through a type of passion, through the the way of the cross, as Jesus taught, by facing our causes of our suffering inside in order to eliminate them, that all the impurities of our mind have to die on that cross, which we explain in different books, the symbolism of the cross. But here we're explaining that Jesus, he physically lived a drama in which he let himself be physically persecuted to teach us something symbolic, And when he was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't curse or condemn his attackers. He blessed them. And the fact that we don't have that psychology shows that we are imperfect. For as the Master Jesus, or the Christ through Jesus taught, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And with patience possessing your souls, be perfect as your Father, your inner divinity is perfect. So we need to strive to have that perfection. And where does it begin? By becoming aware. Developing cognizance of ourselves. Many people talk about mind. There are many books in the world that will teach you how to fortify intellect. And this is primarily what many yogis or monks, many rabbis, many imams, many practitioners of religions teach. But we need to have a mind that's simple, an intellect that's simple. doesn't mean that we become ignorant. But as Jesus taught, become ye as little children if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Become innocent. 
we observe ourselves whenever we have a bout of frustration or, or hatred or anger towards another person, we fail to realize that we are harming that person. We may know a certain emotion is wrong, but still we act. We are impelled to act. That means that we don't have full control of ourselves because God does not have anger. That's a defect that we have, that we created. Those are elements that we need to remove and purify so that we can become perfect as our Father, our inner divinity, is perfect inside. That Father in Christianity is the Buddha, really the source of our Buddha nature, our divine being. So how do we become aware of ourselves? How do we develop our connection with our divinity? We have three considerations in this scripture. The following is the introduction to the means of experiencing the single nature of mind or consciousness through the application of three considerations. First, recognize that past thoughts are traceless, clear, and empty. Second, recognize that future thoughts are unproduced and fresh. And third, recognize that the present moment abides naturally and unconstructed. So usually in the West, we have this tendency to fill ourselves with many occupations, to perform many activities, to be reading or using our intellect all day, particularly with certain jobs we may have. So we're always moving, 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 performing activities and actions. And we still don't have time just to sit and relax and really look inside. Usually we may watch some television or a movie as if to remove our worries from what we're engaged with in our daily life we seldom really sit down to really reflect inside what is going on in our mind, our heart. Usually we are focused on the external and fail to recognize that our psychological experience is transient, it's changing. We have to be aware of this process. And when we begin to realize that we don't have awareness, this can be very disconcerting. But it's a necessary step that any practitioner of religion has to face such as if you've seen images of uh, this temptation of St. Anthony. Different, uh, there's an image by a Gnostic master. He painted, uh, his name is Hieronymus Bosch. He painted an um, image of a landscape with many demonic creatures attacking St. Anthony, who's trying to pray and focus on an image of Christ in the center of his temple, in the middle of the image. And those different uh, discombobulated creatures are in his mind. His own uh, negativity, his fear, his passion, his hatred, his lust. These are elements that he is trying to overcome He's by praying to divinity inside. And this is a difficult experience every person has to face when beginning to become aware of what's inside. That we really carry many elements we thought we didn't have. But at the same time, we also have many elements that we thought we have but we don't have. That begins by becoming aware. What is the obstacles inside? By observing the nature of our mind in this moment. So these three considerations, we have to recognize that past thoughts are traceless, clear, and empty. By observing the mind, we observe ourselves, our thoughts, we see that thoughts change, fluctuate. If we've ever had the experience of falling asleep at night, hearing on that transition state different voices or the emergence of dreams, that shows us that these are elements in the mind that we were not aware of. So even in dreams like nightmares where we can see certain things that are horrifying, which are not fantasy, 
but there's are elements that are inside us that we're becoming aware of in dreams. So these past thoughts, these are traceless, clear, and empty. They don't have a foundation. They're like clouds. Observe yourself. We, in one moment, we're thinking about our spouse, a friend. And the next moment, we can think of a different thing. And usually we think this comes from one unique self without observing the fact of what's occurring inside. So we have to be aware. How does our mind function? Observe it. To know is one thing, but to observe is a completely different skill. Usually we say, I know I'm angry, or I know I'm frustrated, or I know I'm tired. But we're not yet really observing the fact. Knowledge is of the mind. Comprehension is of the heart. To observe is to understand, to develop this perception of the consciousness inside without being filtered. And also, the fact that future thoughts are unproduced and fresh. We're usually not aware of how thoughts emerge, but if we observe, we see there are elements that emerge as a result of some external cause, some impression in life, such as if if we see a hamburger, we suddenly we have the desire to eat. There's a constant barrage of external impressions that enter our psyche that we are reacting to all the time. But we need to become aware of this factor. We have to realize that this present moment is naturally, is naturally abides and is unconstructed. As I said, we're always looking for things to do, occupations. We seldom sit in the moment and just be. We might, if we go to the beach, to relax from our worries. And simply just to sit as a child sits and to become filled with awe of the beauty of nature and the beauty of uh, the creation of divinity. And the fact that uh, we're not in this state of awe or reverence and awareness of divinity shows that we are obscured in our perception. Usually all we see is ourselves. But if we want to know divinity, we have to become aware of what is inside that is preventing us from knowing that divinity. So the moment has to abide naturally and unconstructed, meaning we're not trying to fill it with so many preoccupations or activities, but simply to sit, even just for 10 minutes, to meditate, observe. Just relax the body as we were doing. Observe the mind, observe the heart, observe our experience of our physicality. And just be in the moment. It is this awareness of being in the moment that opens the gateway to insight, to the nature of divinity. And so we find that this type of awareness relates to, uh, we say, light. In the Bible it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. People think this is about the physical creation, in the book of Genesis, is about the physical creation of the world. It's a creation of the true human being who is psychological inside. So it's not talking about the history of the world, or the history of the race of human beings, but how that psychological image that pure light or awareness of divinity is fully developed inside. So God says, divinity says, let there be light, and there was light. So that darkness is our fear, our detachment, our suffering. It's a chaos, it's a void. But divinity in us needs to fill that void and create light. That light is awareness to see within. So as the Buddhists teach, So uh, when this ordinary momentary consciousness is examined nakedly and directly by oneself, upon examination it is a radiant awareness, which is free from the presence of an observer. So I stated that we need to observe ourselves, be aware of ourselves, but this type of perception being unfiltered, beyond thought, beyond feeling, beyond the body, 
when we are observing, we find that there is no individual self, but a universal consciousness. Some people call it Christ consciousness. It's a type of cognizance in which there is no individual, but there is only the universe, the being, divinity. So it is manifestly stark and clear, completely empty and uncreated in all respects. Lucid, without duality of radiance and emptiness. It's not permanent, for it is lacking inherent existence in all respects. Not a mere nothingness, for it is radiant and clear. Not a single entity, for it is clearly perceptible as a multiplicity. You're not existing inherently as a multiplicity, for it is indivisible and of a single savior. This is talking about how conscious experience is dynamic. It's always changing with our states. Awareness is something that is profound and has many qualities. If you study Sufism, you see that this is very evident and their discussion about the nature of different states of consciousness, different states of being. And Buddhism is really pointing towards the same thing, how uh, there are many superior emotional qualities which are divine. And we listen to great music like by Tchaikovsky or, or Chopin, Mozart. They were expressing very beautiful conscious states of a superior type. And so we say that really these masters of music were prophets teaching how to unite the soul with divinity through music. This type of awareness is not a mere nothingness. It sounds as if, well, if there's no I, if there's no self, then nothing will exist. And this is not the case. This is a very subtle teaching of Buddhist doctrine and Gnostic psychology. The one who observes is the soul. All the different thoughts, feelings, emotions, transient psychological states pertain to subjective elements in our psyche, what we call ego. Ego in Latin means I, self. So there are many different egos, selves, different states which produce suffering inside of us. Personality. Yeah, and personality too relates to that as well. The fact that we have constantly changing elements that when we observe, we realize we don't have control over them. Yeah, but I mean that some people... Oh. Almost all people have a lot of personalities inside. Yes, and people who uh, have been diagnosed with split personality disorder have that to a much pronounced degree. When in strict language, as religions really teach us, we find that all of us have these elements. We may be sane physically, but deep down we do have elements which are disjointed. And this is represented by the man Jesus confronted who was possessed by demons. Uh, those demons are egos, defects. So we say that ego is lust, is pride, is greed, gluttony, laziness, hate, etc. The seven deadly sins. Or it's also a legion. As the man said to Jesus, Jesus asked, who are you? And he says, we are, not, we are legion for we are many. People think this is just about one crazy man that Jesus healed. But this is a symbol of how our divinity, which we can call Christ, needs to create unity inside of us. Create light, awareness by freeing the soul that is trapped in all those elements. Because we say that ego is like a shell that traps consciousness. It conditions our perception. And so we want to free our soul from those elements by developing awareness. We state that it is the soul that can experience divinity. And we all understand that, you know, usually we say that that person has ego, I mean, has a strong sense of self. We like to apply that term to people who we think are very uh, cocky, so to speak. Anyone who has anger or vanity or pride or feels negativity at some point, that is ego. It's a conditioning of the mind. It 
obscures the genuine light of reality inside. So we have to learn how to separate light from that darkness. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So that's becoming aware of ourselves. And the fact that this awareness is not a, a single entity, but is dynamic, is fluctuating, is something we have to really reflect on from experience. So this intrinsic awareness, which is not extraneously derived, is itself the genuine introduction to the abiding nature of all things. For in this intrinsic awareness, the three Buddha bodies are inseparable and fully present as one. So Christianity talks about the Trinity. We think these are three figures in the clouds, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These are really referring to energies, forces in nature. Or in uh, strict Gnostic psychological terms, we say that the Father is the force of affirmation. We have the force of uh, negation relating to the Son and the force of reconciliation in the Holy Spirit. So in nature, the universe is governed by three forces. Affirmation, negation, reconciliation. Creates balance and harmony in nature. So that energy or divinity creates harmony in the cosmos and also needs to create that harmony within us. So uh, this intrinsic awareness is that light. Really, we say Christ to refer to those forces inside of us, our divinity inside, which we need to actualize. In talking about Gnostic psychology, we explain that we have different elements that obscure our realization of that light. It's necessary to confront this fact in ourselves because the reason why people do not experience divinity, why people do not know who God is inside, what is our genuine Buddha nature inside, is because we have certain elements in our mind. This is a painful fact to recognize, but fundamental. If we don't know divinity, we have to understand what are we, what are we doing that is preventing us from knowing that energy, that force, that presence, that experience. Logically, it makes sense that if we are not perceiving divinity as the prophets did, it's because we're not fulfilling the necessary requirements, conditions, or causes to experience that divinity. People think in religion it's enough to simply raise your hand and say, I I believe in Jesus, or I believe in Buddha, or I believe in Prophet Muhammad, or I believe in Krishna. And many people approach religion in this way, failing to recognize that that which obscures our light inside is the darkness or moon of our mind. The sun of our being, our divinity, could shine in us with profound light and awareness. But our common, everyday, mundane experience, our fluctuating psychological states, is like the moon that is eclipsing the sun. But if we honestly reflect and our previous experience in life, such as, as I mentioned, when we were young, we experienced life in a much different way, where time didn't exist, where a single moment brought us happiness of a nature that we fail to explain. We can identify, but we don't really know, we don't, what was that joy, or where did that joy come from, seemingly without any cause. A type of peace that we've had, which we need to cultivate in our adult life, in our mature life, So we find that logically it makes sense that if we're not in a constant state of that awareness of divinity, it's because we as a soul are asleep. So all religions teach us the need for practice, which is something we emphasize in this teaching. We explain in this doctrine the science of meditation, becoming aware of ourselves, and to really confront in us what elements produce our pain. 
as the, a Buddhist master by the name of Shantideva taught, he explained, How many enemies as unending as space can I kill from my anger? When all anger is slain, all my enemies are slain likewise. Or as our Prophet Muhammad taught, the strongest among you is he who controls his anger. And usually we have this tendency to approach things from the outside and not to be aware of what's going on inside. Shantideva in this scripture called the Way of the Bodhisattva taught, is another Buddhist teaching, that if we trying to cover the entire world with leather so that we don't hurt our feet is impossible. But if we use leather to cover our feet to make shoes, we can go anywhere. So this is an interesting demarcation between the psychology of our times with the psychology of an individual who's working to unite with divinity. Because usually we think, well, it's the external causes are the result causes of our suffering. External events, loss of job, conflict with a family member or spouse, and we fail to recognize what is our internal states that's provoking these experiences. We want to put, symbolically, we want to, we want to put leather all around the world so that we can walk anywhere. But that's ludicrous. We have this tendency, we, we're always looking outside. We're not really becoming aware inside. If we cover our feet, if we discipline our mind, and we eliminate anger, we develop genuine joy and peace and love for others. And in that sense, we don't have conflicts. So heaven is inside. Nirvana, bliss, cessation of suffering is an internal state. What religion calls heaven, certainly there are states of awareness or experiences we can have when we physically go to sleep and we can access through dream yoga, awakening with dreams, becoming aware in dreams. But if we fail to control our mind, we won't necessarily have that experience because there has to be causes inside. The superior dimensions pertain to uh, places we can verify and investigate to know by awakening this awareness in our daily life, which will translate into our dream state. But also, really, heaven is really a state of being. It's not necessarily found by going to Tibet or making a pilgrimage or looking outside, but looking inside. If any of you have read Paradise Lost by John Milton, a very famous poet, he wrote the greatest English epic about the story of creation and Genesis. He says that the mind is its own place. It can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. So heaven is being united with divinity, where hell is our problems, our psychological states. And so we teach how to meditate, how to understand our mind, how to understand our psychology. And we explain this awareness in relation to our daily experience. So there's nothing that is separate from the experience of this moment. There is no future, there is no past. We have to understand that everything we seek is inside. If we don't know the different dimensions of nature and the different levels of the cosmos as represented in uh, the Hebrew Kabbalah, known as the Tree of Life in the Bible, a map of the universe and divinity. It's because we need to know ourselves. Likewise, if we know ourselves, we become aware of the, really the presence and experience of divinity in our daily life. Even in a moment we stop thinking, like washing the dishes and we're concentrating in the moment and we experience the new, a Zen state, 
awareness that is beyond intellect, no thought, just peace, and a joy that is somber and solemn but profound. This Buddhist scripture teaches us, though one were to scan the entire external universe, searching for the nature of mind, one would not find it. Buddhahood, self-realization, the full awareness and development of the soul, the full union or reunion of the soul with divinity, cannot be obtained other than through the mind, or better said, consciousness, being aware of ourselves. Not recognizing this, one does indeed search for the mind externally. Yet how can one find one's own mind when one looks for it elsewhere? So religion emphasizes that if you belong to this group and you pray with this community, you are saved. And uh, liberation is not like that. Liberation is cognizance of the divine. It's inside. It doesn't belong anywhere. Yet how can one find one's own mind when one looks for it elsewhere? This is like a fool, for example, who when finding himself amidst a crowd of people, becomes mesmerized by the spectacle of the crowd and forgets himself, then no longer recognizing who he is, starts searching elsewhere for himself, continuously mistaking others for himself. We have to really become profound, to have the courage to investigate things and to verify for ourselves our spiritual nature, which is to become present, cognizant, to approach ourselves from the perspective that if we don't know divinity, we need to, it's because we don't know ourselves fundamentally. Some people have the impression that if one abandons thought, feeling, or the body, one is like a zombie, or one is like a, in a soulless state, as if there's, there's nothing dynamic about that person. But really, if we develop this sense of awareness, it is the genuine joy and cognizance of reality that cuts through illusion, cuts through uh, the transitoriness of the senses, and um, it's something that we learn to taste and verify through experience. Any questions? So if I can truly <coughs> observe myself as a noticing internal state, um, if I could, I, I mean, what percentage of the time, I, I'm just trying to find out how long this is going to take before I actually know. Doesn't take any. doesn't take any time. Huh? Because time past, future, don't exist. So to access that state of divinity happens now. And is a result of our ongoing discipline of being mindful throughout the day. So the truth doesn't come to us in the future. We have this idea that, oh, in the future, maybe I'll become a great meditator or a great yogi sitting under a, a Bodhi tree or bush meditating for 20 years, and then I'll have that finally that moment where I got it. Like something in the future. It isn't in the future. It's something that happens here and now, in this moment. The Sufis call it wakt in Arabic. And that where the, they be aware of that presence, hudur, the presence of divinity, happens now through awareness, muhadara. Awareness is really that to experience divinity does have nothing to do with time. We think that with time I will change. With time I will do this. But that's, illusion, that's delusional. Because all religion teaches that realization begins in the moment. 
And so the thing that we are going to become developed in the future is a mistake. It happens moment by moment. But conventionally we see, yes, we could see in conventional time, students who've been practicing for many years may have more experiences. But the realization of those truths doesn't occur in some remote future. But now. But what I'm trying to say is that as we, as we observe ourselves, maybe we get better. It takes time to get better at observing ourselves. Conven- right. Yes. Conventionally, conventionally, it's true. You know, with, with practice, we get better at it. But the realization of a insight or the truth occurs when, we, when we're being present in this moment. But with time, the more you become acculturated to that state, the more becomes your reality and the more that divinity helps to guide you in your daily experiences with life to help confront those problems. So yeah, students have been practicing for 20 years, 30 years, seriously, will have more insight. But that insight doesn't come in the future. We develop it in each instant. And that's my emphasis because we usually have this conception that with time we will get better which conventionally is true, but to, to get better, we have to work in the moment. So two truths, the ultimate and the conventional, which coincide, if that makes sense. I'm a spiritual being and I'm connected with this whole world. And I think what religion, at least in my experience, is you're not a spiritual being till after death. And that's when we're spiritual beings. And that's when we're connected to God. But I feel I'm already connected to God. I don't know what God is. I know what he's not. And it's not an afterlife. It's right here, right now. That's how I feel. In strict esoteric teachings, we say that only the being is. Only divinity is. And only the divine can say, I am. Because the soul, as the expression of divinity, is not the divinity. It's a part of divinity. And uh, we as the soul can learn to follow the will of the divine or follow our own selfish will. To really know divinity, the highest expression of divinity, is, is taught as a, in the structure of Kabbalah, specifically. The structure of the divine and the soul. This image, as I will show you, is really a map of who God is and where we are in the universe. And is a symbol represented in the Bible, the tree of life. There's ten spheres representing the highest forces of the spirit and Christ above and how that energy descends down into different levels of matter, energy, and consciousness. So at the bottom of this tree of life, we have a sphere called Malkut, which means uh, the physical body. Above that, we have Yesod, which is our energy or vitality. Chod, which is our emotions. Netzach, which is our mind. Tiferoth, which is our will. And above that, we have the spirit or the divine soul and the spirit, and then we have the trinity above. So to really know God or to really be uh, fully connected with that energy, that force, is to know the entire tree of life in this moment. And uh, that's something that very elevated masters such as Jesus or Buddha were cognizant of all these spheres in themselves and knew the dimensions of nature simultaneously. So a person that is really fully connected in strict esoteric language is some, one who is aware of this entire constitution, this multidimensionality of the, of the psyche and the all divinity. The spheres are connected. 
Yes, and uh, you know we study them individually, such as through teachings on uh, Kabbalah, which Kabbalah is uh, associated as the mystical science of Judaism, but it's really a map for any religion. So studying any pantheon or any uh, faith can help us interpret different scriptures. But also it's a map of the soul and the and divinity, the being, and what we need to develop inside. So awareness really pertains to, really in its fullest sense, is having all those elements fully developed inside, integrated, which is what we study in the Hebraic teachings, which are the foundation of Judaism and uh, Christianity, but also can help us understand Buddhism, particularly. Any other questions? So I thank you for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.